Welcome to On the Couch with Dr. Carmen. Today we have a special guest, um, Lupe Nambo Basua. Um, she's going to be talking with us about creating space to learn, heal, and overcome racial trauma. Lupe is Lupe is a bilingual first generation licensed marriage and family therapist. She founded Luna Counseling, which is a private practice. Um, in Northern California that aims to challenge dominant narratives in mental health by practicing therapy from a decolonized lens. I just, I just love that. So thank you, Lupe, for being on the couch with us today. Um, tell the listeners a little bit more about your training and how you decided to become a licensed marriage and family therapist. Great question and uh, good morning to you and thank you for, you know, uh, inviting me to be in community with you and I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Um, in terms of training, I think for me specifically, I think as a, as a Latina um, or, or a person of color, um, I think the majority of my non-traditional training came from me seeking information and resources and literature on my own, right? So we had that traditional graduate experience. And when I was in graduate school, I realized that a lot of the theories and the things that I was learning were very white-centered, right? Mm -hmm. And so that led to me having beliefs of, am I meant to be here? I don't fit in. I don't look like these models. I don't look like mm -hmm. these families. How, how am I supposed to apply this with, you know, um, you know, a very complex Latin family, right? Or even in my community, about, back in the day, I served here in Sacramento and South Sacramento, right? So I worked in community mental health and my Black families, my Asian families, my Latin families, they all looked at me like I was crazy because these these theories didn't fit them, right? And then, right. you know, we heard things that were real. Therapy doesn't work, therapies for white people. So then I realized, I started realizing, okay, at some point, I'm like, if this isn't fitting me, how do I change it, mm. right? And so then that's when I started seeking, you know, literature and seeing, you know, the systemic issues and barriers within mental health where I was working. And I started to seek information. So I slowly started by following activists on social media, you know, and we, and we know social media can be a great tool. It can also be a very stressful tool. Right. And so I started dabbling in things and I started picking up more books. And then I started reconnecting with this, um, you know, this, you know, topic of decolonizing. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, and, and the more I read, I'm like, the, you know, it's it's to me, it's reconnecting back to my ancestral roots. Right. My intuition to community, to community healing. Right. Within within mental health, it's very individualistic, at least here in, in the U.S. and the way it's centered. Yes. Um, and so I the more I started to read, I'm like this. This sounds naturally like what we already do being in community, you know, creating right. healing with each other. And so I started to tap in a lot more into that. And I started to see transformation within the folks that I had the privilege of serving. And we started to create, you know, a, a type of therapy that felt more restorative, that felt obtainable, mm -hmm. um, you know, something that felt like, hey, I see myself in this. I think this could work within my family system. Um, and that's kind of where, 
that journey began. And I say began because it's still a journey that I'm very much on. Decolonizing, I think, for me is an every single day type of thing. And, and I always have to learn new things and work through my biases and my own internalized stuff, right? Because yeah. it's there. Um, and so it, to me, it's just a continuous process of growth and connecting um, and being curious and willing to, to learn. Wow. You say in your um, bio that you're justice oriented. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So I always, you know, tell folks if we're coming to mental health and we're not talking about racism, systemic issues, you know, homophobia, then we're not we're then we're not doing therapy. Right. If we're not if we're not able to address you know, the way that these systems are not created for people of color and the harm and trauma that it causes, we can't do therapy, right? Because Mm -hmm. the majority of folks that come in do experience racial trauma and microaggressions on the daily. So if you're coming to me with symptoms of anxiety and depression, and we're skipping the elephant in the room that a lot of this might be induced by the society that you're, that you're, you know, connecting in, right? That your workplace if we completely skip over that, we're never going to get to the root of, oh, you're having panic attacks at work because you're experiencing X, Y, and Z microaggressions, mm-hmm. discrimination, right? And so um, I always tell folks that, you know, therapy is political. There is no way that we can deal with human life and say that, oh, we can stay silent on, on things of social justice and, and violence that's happening to people of color. That's not, that's not therapy. No, it's not. It's not taking into account the whole person either. You know, I have my background in social work, and that was part of what we were taught: the person as political. And it's very hard to separate that out from the whole human experience. Yes, yes, and all the intersections. And then, then we're saying we don't see you. We don't see you in your entirety, in your complexities, and all the ways that you know your life intersects with bigger, you know, bigger things. Right. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. And, and it's, and it is problematic because a lot of folks still think that way. Oh, I'm just going to stay silent on these issues and still say I'm doing therapy. Yeah. So being able to one, embrace the things that make us who we are, you know, the basis that was stripped away from us basically by colonization and being able to highlight those things that really helped us to uh, persist through the years. That is part of the justice-oriented therapy. That is part of reclaiming community. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think a lot of us have a lot of natural healing abilities, right? And so, and, and I think the frustrating thing when we buy into, you know, colonization is that for some reason we are taught to believe that anything that's good is white. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, you know, you know, I think I was, there was this thing I was seeing on social media and um, it talked about kind of parenting in different ways. And, and they were really giving a lot of credit to, to whiteness, white wellness. Right. And so that, that led to bigger conversations of a lot of the times these are, traditions, histories, remedies that are stolen, right, from people of color and repackaged in a way to be more palatable. Yes. And for those who, you know, may not be of a minority culture or of our community, what might that look like? Um, Can you elaborate a little bit on that? 
the where the things that were stolen can you be more specific on how what was repackaged yeah so anything to you know remedies like you know mm-hmm. our ancestors our grandmothers would make teas or different things for healing right and they had different techniques for for parenting and and you know taking raising children right and so right. that these you know these things you know are repackaged like oh this is a specific type of tea and then it becomes popular and then people are saying wait a minute but my ancestors my grandma my auntie they they've been making these things for us right. when we're having a cold or a stomach ache or a paste or a specific meal or a drink or we we were wearing cloth you know little i don't know what they're called but like you know those little backpacks where you put the baby and it looks like you know it's a yeah. little yeah and, you know so a, a lot of those things are things that already existed or you know you talk about yoga and how yoga has been stolen and appropriated so there's a lot of different things that we that sometimes we internalize and believe that oh these are these are white things Mm -hmm. right and we forget and so when we start to have these conversations and kind of deconstruct it we see all of the things that already have existed before us right Right. and we start to change that we do deserve generational wealth that we do deserve mental health and access to mental health and that these things are not unobtainable Mm -hmm. to us and that it doesn't specifically belong to to whiteness right right and i'm glad that you highlighted that because even i had forgotten that and you know growing up in Louisiana with you know parents and great grandparents who had been on on the plantation picking cotton sharecropping and all of those things we had tons of those old remedies some that I was really happy to see go but it yeah. <laughs> worked and just not realizing hey that's part of me that is part of what made us strong you know, all the old sayings and different things like that. We keep those, all of the spiritual practices, we keep those, but you're right. When it's repackaged, it's hard to feel the, the pride Mm -hmm. to give the credit for that, to say, Mm -hmm. you know, we can do this for ourselves. I don't have to rely on the other, the majority culture all the time to make me whole. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so justice oriented, community oriented, you talk about holding space or making space. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about what that looks like? Yeah, so holding space is really, you know, creating a container for the individual to to process or to, you know, release anything that they feel that they're holding on to right so it really can look like anything so sometimes in the beginning holding space is you know giving them the opportunity to talk about their experiences with mental health and how Mm -hmm. mental health has failed them or their family right because a lot of the times you know they say you know they might say that they're struggling to be in therapy because it's white or because their families Mm -hmm. have said that it's for white people or that it's for crazy people and so we talk about what experiences has your family had with mental health because a lot of the times you know it was harmful and so it you know create a what would i say it confirmed their ideas and beliefs about it and when they talk about oh therapy is why and i tell them yeah you're right traditionally it is right and so here we are and we're changing that you and i sitting in this room We are that change. And so we talk about what would your ideal relationship with therapy look like? You know, what 
what feels safe to you, what feels comfortable to you. Um, because I always tell folks, if you don't feel safe or comfortable with me in that chair, that's a red flag and we got to talk about it and we got to work through it. And, you know, we are human and we don't always, you know, fit well together. And that's, that's an important thing to talk about, um, into process. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we can figure out from there, am I the space that they need, or is there something better out there for them that I can support them in finding? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so making sure that they have a different perspective, a healthier perspective on how therapy works, on Mm -hmm. how long therapy takes and, you know, what the approaches are. It's not just always the traditional um, setting of therapy, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. Um, And that is part of the reason why I started developing this podcast is to help people get ideas about what therapy is out there or how healing can take different approaches Mm -hmm. for a lot of things. Um, I was trying to get to something else that we were talking about previously um, when you were saying that the toughest part is that you still represent the system that failed people. Mm -hmm. So helping people to reclaim uh, a process that works to heal people. Yeah. And I think part of, you know, mental health is still pretty problematic in a lot of ways and and still to a lot of people it's not as accessible right Mm -hmm. and then and there's there's changes and things happening but you know it's still there's still more work to be done and so i you know i for me personally i feel that i need to do more in terms of you know lobbying or being more involved on on the political forefront of bills and things that are being passed that impact our field because mm-hmm. i think you know a big part of mental health is still very much tied to the medical system, right? And having to have insurance and a, and a diagnosis to justify and validate someone's experience and existence. And that right. in itself is really problematic. And and I am in private practice. So I, I'm, I don't, you know, participate in that sense. But, but the fact that by default that I am a therapist, I'm still participating to a certain extent in this system, right? And right. so still trying to figure out in community with other therapists, what does this look like and what changes can we make for this to be, you know, a space that really truly serves the people that we're serving? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about advocating later, but, you know, because you brought out the political part, sometimes part of therapy is teaching people how to use their voice, how to make their voice count. Um, for things like, you know, affordable health care and making sure that you understand what you're buying if you're buying on the affordable care um, website, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that mental health is included because they can be misleading and trying to sell you on a cheaper plan that doesn't have all of the benefits. Yeah. Um, so sometimes that is part of it as well, not just in us advocating for our clients in whichever part of the system it might be, penal, um, workplace, school, but also teaching the client how to advocate for themselves. Yes, yes. And there's, and then I think that's also just part of this, of the work that, 
you know, I naturally do. And I think it brings in kind of, I, you know, I don't have a background in social, but it brings in kind of that whole person care, right? If we, mm-hmm. to a certain extent, are if we're not able to provide so resources or just some basics to make sure that they feel stable, then therapy is not effective, right? If basic needs are not met, if they're if they're needing resources for housing or you know X, Y, and Z, those things do need to be in place for therapy to be effective. Because if not, they're just in survival, and they're like, I need to know where I'm sleeping and where I'm eating. I don't care yeah. about therapy right now. Right. Yeah. I need to know that I have a roof over my head or I'm going to have food on the table and then we can get back to the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big thing that I had to learn. I think within this, this um, graduate, you know, framework that was ingrained in me, I had to learn to not be so rigid and to learn that I need to flow and to move with the folks that I serve. And that means resources. And that looks like this or, you know, X, Y, and Z. And that the, all of those things were okay because real life isn't this little, you know, cookie cutter textbook that I was told in graduate school. That just wasn't right. real. No, definitely not. Well, even with the majority culture, it doesn't go just like the textbook. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, being able to be creative, being able to be flexible, to work with your clients where they are. Yes. Yeah. So what does healing mean to you um, personally? And what does it mean to the people that come into your office or do telehealth with you? Yeah. For me, healing is, I always tell folks it's not linear right? It's up and down and it can get messy and it can be beautiful and it can be terrifying and it can be exhausting and it can also be liberating. And so I think for me is I hold on to liberation because to me, healing is being able to, you know, to heal within, to, to be able to work through, you know, family, you know, family systems, intergenerational stuff, and to be able to heal to a point where you can create a version of you that you feel is healthier or a generation moving forward, you know, that liberates our ancestors, our parents, you know, our the access that our families didn't have when we were growing up, and that we mm-hmm. can start to be that change and to learn to reconnect to community. So healing for me is also community because a lot of the times, you know, with our ancestors, they, they depended on community to thrive. Somebody had resources, somebody had, you know, a homeopathic remedy that was like, Hey, you're feeling ill. You know, somebody knew how to fix things and, you know, and so a lot of the times we, we very much isolate ourselves. And so healing is our whole, it's tapping into community to ourselves, to knowing what we need and how to advocate for that. And also being able to learn, you know, respectfully boundaries, because I think culturally, at least in my family, my parents were like, I don't know what boundaries are and they don't exist in this house. That's not, I don't know what you think. That's, I don't know what that is, you know? And so I think that's also really challenging for us to, to create that in a way that's respectful to our elders and to our family. Mm -hmm. And so healing is learning to work through all of those, you know, all of those different intersections and, and, and finding something that really truly feels, you know, liberating to that person. And I think when folks come, you know, to, to each person that I have the, the honor of working with this, it means something different to all of them. 
you know, some are seeking liberation and some are seeking a different form of it, or, um, you know, some just want to be able to live in the now and be able to, to heal from the things that, you know, have haunted them in the past or they, or they were sitting with them and they want to, they want to feel lighter and they want to release it. Right. Um, you know, and so I think I, to me, healing is what, what they, whatever they need it to be. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and also permission to change and to evolve because healing might be something for them one month. And then two months later, it evolves and changes and normalizing that it's, that multiple things can exist and be true at the same time. There isn't yeah. just one or the other. We don't live in the black and white. We live in the colorful and in the grays. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you, you say that you also work on racial trauma as well as trauma in general. Can you tell me what the difference is? Yeah, so racial trauma is very specific. It's very specific and very unique. And a lot of the times folks don't realize that they're experiencing, right? And so talking about intergenerational trauma, right? So if you're a person of color, what is it like, and especially if you're male, to walk out, you know, every day and be afraid for your life and not know what's going to happen to me? Am I going to be okay? And this constantly living in the survival and hypervigilance, you know, going to a store, driving outside, you know, all of those things have an impact on our nervous system and the way that folks function day to day, right? And in employment settings and, Mm -hmm. and not being, not receiving a job offer because of the way you look, the way you talk, right? Then being told your hair is unprofessional, your clothing is unprofessional, your makeup, your jewelry, all of these messages that you're receiving for however you know old you are, they start to deteriorate your mental health and you start to believe these lies and to believe and then that you don't deserve good things and that you're not worthy of promotions, you know? And so a lot of those things kind of creates this just harmful loop of, you know, the mental yeah. health challenges. And some of those challenges that you experience in mental health are also out of your control. And sometimes that can be such a relief for people to hear, it's not me, or yeah. I'm not, you know, pe- folks, I think, have this fear that they're broken or that they're damaged. And and so we talk about that. Well, what does that mean to you? And what does broken look like to you? Mm-hmm. And have you considered X, Y, and Z? And sometimes they'll say, well, you, you know, you talk about let's name him Jim, right? You bring up Jim and Jim seems to make some pretty intense comments, you know, and then I call it out like microaggressions about your hair and your clothing. And they're like, wait, what do you mean? And then we talk about it. And then you just see this, you know, all of these stages, anger, tears, relief, that they could breathe. And they're like, so I'm not going crazy. Something is Mm -hmm. happening. And we're like, Yeah. yeah, something is happening. This is what it's called microaggressions. This is what it's doing to your body. This is how it shows up somatically in your body. You're mentioning you sweat. When you see this person, you can't breathe. You're feeling, you know, overwhelmed. You feel like you're going to pass out. And then we, we name it. We name them and we give them language to validate their experiences. And I give them the limited language that I have within what trauma says it is. But then yeah. we work together on the What does it mean to you? Right mm-hmm. to, to the person, because this textbook terms and things like that might not really be how they identify with it. And so we we say, this is what I know that it says. What yeah. what is? Let's talk about what it's like for you and how and how that feels for you. And 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 that is is a beautiful moment, but at the same time a painful moment because it's why are we still going through this? Why is this yeah. still happening? Right. 
but it's it's beautiful also in that you invite them to use language that has meaning for them um, for the issue, not just the language that comes from textbooks, which I'm familiar with too for traditional trauma, but not as much with how to utilize that to help people heal from racial trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the last couple of years, because I've had more and more people coming in for those reasons. You know, they're overwhelmed with it or they're hearing having more hostility, uh, sorry, hostility on the job yeah. related to all of these things. Um, because, you know, the mask is off now. You know, no pun intended. So people are a lot more bolder with those microaggressions. Yeah. And sometimes they're not so micro. Yeah. And sometimes they're violent and it leads to people being, you know, seriously harmed or lives are taken. And so it's not this subtle thing anymore. It's very much, you know, over in your face. And then that, you know, causes, you know, us to live in this distress and this fear of like people are out here just waving their flags and they don't care, you know, who they are. And they're probably telling you I'm a threat to you. And, and yeah. if I decide that I want to hurt you, I, you know, that, that could be an option. And I think that is a very unsettling, uncomfortable reality that I think a lot of us are experiencing right now, that this mm -hmm. is, this is still, still happening. Yeah. Feeling helpless and hopeless. And, you know, the recent example with the Supreme court, um, you know, so well-rounded, so much, you know, so many more credentials than most people that are currently sitting and still get subjected to tons of microaggression and, you know, almost feeling like you're experiencing that with her, mm -hmm. you know, so to have to deal with that and say, well, you know, I'm educated and that's not enough. She's a judge and that's not enough. What does that mean for me? You know, so yeah. those are the kinds of things that come into my office. Um, I don't know if that's the kind of stuff that you've been seeing as well. Yeah, I, I think all the time, all the time. And we talk about those layers, you know, and, and if they want to kind of dissect, what did I watch and what is that and what did that mean to me and how did that make me feel? And, and, you know, and really just giving them space to kind of process and, and find their words, you know, and I kind of mm -hmm. sit back a little bit and kind of let them, you know, let them kind of lead. Right. Because I think right. that's another important thing when, when processing just anything to that degree is letting them lead. And, and I'm just there as a part of this path that they're on. And, and when it's appropriate for me, then, you know, I can throw in, you know, my two cents and things like that. They're really centering them and, you know, and really just kind of talking about, you know, where do, where do these, these experiences come from and, and talking about those experiences and how these men were threatened. Right. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and it was, and we talk about how exhausting it is and we laugh and we joke and we say, what the heck was that? Right. And we, right. and sometimes some clients are, you know, we'll say, look, let me show you some TikTok videos that are showing me how I'm feeling about this because I don't know what mess I just witnessed. <laughs> like, you know, what was that? And, you know, and then we, we laugh because also we, we got to find space for joy. I think yeah. joy for joy for people of color is resistance. 
Mm -hmm. Because so many of the times folks, you know, want to rob people of color, BIPOC folk of joy. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, can we laugh and can we cry and can we be genuine and authentic within ourselves and the space that we're creating? And so we'll, you know, we'll pull up a bunch of different videos and we're like, yes, that's, you know, and then, you know, right now, you know, folks, you know, are using all those Gen Z terms, like it's giving, you know, the vibe is not there, you know, um, you know, the comment section didn't pass the vibe check, or they just say a bunch of things like that, but mm-hmm. it creates joy and, and not just say that, you know, everything that we experience is, you know, that we, is going to be funny because it's not, but in sometimes that's what folks need. They're like, look, right now I just want to laugh because it was a straight mess. I don't know what was going on in this, these interviews and grilling her about random things and this anti-racist baby book. I'm right. like, yes, let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it was giving a lot, but <laughs> having some joy, having some pleasure to balance out slugging through the mess is absolutely important. I love how you said, you know, joy for people of color is resistance. I don't think people think about it that way because we're so used to just pushing, pushing, pushing all the time against the opposition. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. we're tired and we need to rest. We need moments to 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 rest and to feel joy. And we talk about what does it mean to rest? Because I think that for a lot of us, that is something we've never known. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw our parents hustling two, three jobs to to make ends meet, to to buy into this this dream, whatever they they at the time believed that the American dream was. You know, and then we grew up with this hustle culture and this mentality of go, 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 climb yeah. a ladder, climb a ladder. But then it's like, when do we know when we've made it, or do we just keep climbing forever, right? And so we talk about that. You know, what does it mean to rest and to reclaim rest and to work through the guilt? Where does this guilt of resting come from? And let's talk about family dynamics. And did you ever see rest growing up? Um, you know, we talk about why. Why do you feel that our parents didn't get to have mm-hmm. rest? Because rest isn't a luxury. It should be a right. You right. know, and 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 then we and sometimes they're like, Lupe, I don't want to come here anymore. We're going through, you know, my mind is going everywhere. I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling that. And we hold space for all of that as well because it is heavy. They're like, I don't want to see all this. Close my eyes. I want to go back to not, not seeing and not knowing. And I don't want to talk about any of this. (laughs) Yeah. I heard that too. It's like, I'm always so tired and so drained when we get finished. And I'm like, yeah, that's the ups and downs of it. You know, some days you're going to feel like the weight is off and then other days it's going to be heavier depending on what we're dealing with. Yes. Yeah. And so I tell folks, what is your ritual, your cleanse that you do after therapy? You know, Ooh. the days that are heavy. Right. And some folks tell me why crying. I was like, crying is one of the easiest quickest ways to cleanse because you're cleansing your body within and you're releasing. And then then I'm like, what happens when you're done crying? They're like, I feel good. Like I feel light. I feel like I can breathe. And you know, and they're like, I feel like I can take on the the day. And I was like, yeah, because you're cleansing, you know, so simple things to do after sessions. Some folks want to, you know, jot down some thoughts, you know, or some folks are like, I'm just going to put on a really great playlist and I'm just going to listen to my music and just, just chill. And I was like, okay, that's good. You know, but I was like, what does that look like after? And it's really to reinforce this. How are you taking care of yourself? Because mm-hmm. as soon as you leave therapy, you, the work continues in the, in whatever ways you want it to, to continue. Right. Right. So do you talk about that in the beginning of therapy when you're just starting? Do you 
you know, bring it up periodically during therapy? Yeah. So I, it's woven in throughout. And so, especially if they have heavier days, then we bring, as soon as they, you know, they, they're expressing, you know, or I'm seeing that it's starting to go heavy. We start to bring up some of those topics because I think it's always a scaling game, right? Because in the mm-hmm. beginning, you don't want to throw too much because then they're like, this is too much information. I'm overwhelmed. I'm not going to retain it. And now I'm scared, Yeah, you know? So we kind of break it in and, and weave it in as, as you start to kind of see those little flags of like, okay, we're getting, they're feeling more comfortable. They're feeling safe. They're wanting to go deeper. I think we are, are, we've built some trust and then we start getting into those conversations of like, Hey, what is your after therapy plan? You know, how do you care for yourself? They're like, what do you mean? And we talk about, you know, therapy doesn't always feel good, you know, and Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it's kind of, you know, the nitty gritty, you kind of get your hands dirty and you go in and some days, you know, it, 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 it wears on them. And so that's also, I think, helpful. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, reassuring of like, oh, okay. So this is normal that I'm feeling tired and, and nervous about, you know, our next session. Yeah. That's, that mm-hmm. is hundred percent normal. Yeah. I like that. I learned something new too, that I'm probably going to start using myself. Yeah. I like that. I like that after therapy ritual. So, um, you know, keeping uh, attention to the time and how could they find somebody wonderful like you, um, you know, in therapy? Are we just going to rely on um, your insurance company? Uh, What are we going to do? What do you normally do? Yeah. So folks that I, you know, come across or just in general on social media, I always encourage them. There's so many directories now where you can find therapists of color, right? BIPOC therapists. So there's inclusive therapists, which is, you know, uh, I believe it's in all of our, all, all of the States. I think it's, um, uh, wide, uh, worldwide, but it has so many different, you know, therapists. So if you're looking for, you know, therapists that South Southeast Asian, if you're looking for a Latin therapist, a black therapist, Afro Latinos, you know, there is folks that look like us that do exist out there. And this is one way, you know, to access that. There's also another one is Latinx therapy. So that can be if you're looking specific for a Latin therapist or an Afro Latina or Latino therapist. Um, an ex therapist and, you know, therapy for black girls is another good one because it's also specific. And so I tell people, you know, have what are your must haves when it comes mm-hmm. to therapy? And a lot of folks don't know that. So start with the basics. Do they need to look like you? Do they yeah. have to have similar beliefs or do they have if you have spirituality and certain religious aspects of your life? Is it important for them to understand that? And I always tell folks, you know, uh, especially if you're BIPOC inter, you know, taking a look at their, the website's therapist, do they have any statements about anti-racism, right? Mm -hmm. And what work are they doing around that? Um, You know, because if they don't understand these systemic issues and the ways that they show up for you and impact you, then they're already not for you. Right. And if they can't answer their questions about, you know, anti-racism practices or trauma and working with people of color and trauma, then that's mm-hmm. probably a you know red flag for you that that's that's not it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and what are some things that you're looking for? Is it, you know, depression? Is it anxiety? Is it trauma? And I always tell folks, make sure that these folks that you are looking at 
are trained in these things because there's a difference between just taking a class and actually being trained in trauma right and so you want to know you know how how what is their education or their you know credentials or their certifications around trauma if you have a specific thing that you want to work on interview them right you know, what are their qualifications? And most of us, we shouldn't be offended by getting asked those questions because it's your, it's part of your informed, you know, right for you to be informed so that you can make the right decision for you. Exactly. And again, to highlight that you have the right to interview your therapist, whether it's, you know, licensed clinical social work, licensed mental health, doctorate level, you have the right to interview them, um, to find the right fit for you, to ask all of these questions to see if they can best serve uh, the issues that you're bringing to the mm-hmm. table, to best serve you know, who you think you can identify with, build rapport with, um, feel comfortable with is, is another way for saying the build rapport. You have the right to do that. You even if it's a primary care physician or a psychiatrist who's yes. giving medicine for your mental health issues, you have the right to interview them to find the best fit. If they're not going to be, you know, well, my criteria is usually somebody who's going to educate me, who's going to go at a pace that I'm, you know, more comfortable with, yeah. as well as the knowledge base, the experience base you have the right to find those things out. Yes. And it's also budget, you know, making sure that it, you know, I always tell folks for out of pocket, meaning you're going to pay, you know, out of pocket, you're not utilizing insurance. What is your weekly or biweekly budget, you know, and how much can you afford to pay a month out of pocket? Because, you know, sometimes with, you know, folks choose private practice, private pay, because it does, it's not rigid with the way that the medical system is, right? So you're not forced to diagnose, you're not forced to, offer this many sessions, X, Y, and Z. So out of pocket, some, you know, for some folks, you know, yes, they have to pay out of pocket, but some folks choose that because they have a lot of freedom and flexibility. Mm -hmm. And it's more of a healing environment because you and that therapist get to build what it looks like versus having these systems tell you, this is what it has to look like. This is how many sessions, and this is a diagnosis that you have to give. Right. Right. And that's a whole nother thing. So we won't get too much into that. But, you know, pay attention to that. What's your budget, days and times that work for you um, and interview them, always interview them. And if you do one or two sessions and it's not it, then pull out and keep, you know, keep on that search and and be just be mindful of how much do I want to share with mm-hmm. these therapists in the beginning, because they might not be my therapist. So that right. way you're not traumatizing yourself and sharing your experiences over and over again and feeling like, all right, I'm, I'm done with this. Right. Right. And also for those of you who are full-time employees, I would also say, ask your job, do they have an employee mm-hmm. assistance program, otherwise known as an EAP? You may yep. get five to 10 sessions free um, you will be responsible based on your insurance or mm-hmm. based on the fee for service with those therapists to continue your therapy because most of the time five to 10 sessions is not enough to really start making a difference, but it will help you get started on where you're going to go. Yeah. Um, I left one other link on here out. It is therapy for black men. Um, that is also another resource again for those who are looking for male therapists Uh um, so you can find some people on that directory 
Um, let's see. And, um, well, I know I am on therapy for black girls and Florida today, but we were talking about specific, uh, links for people of color and BIPOC. Uh, and you're on Latinx therapy. Um, any others? Of these? Yeah. On uh, inclusive therapists as well. Okay. And also um, to give information about how you can connect with Lupe, um, here are all of her socials um, and um, you can connect with her there. And she's also on TikTok. Yeah. Uh, doing a better job than I am about educating. <laughs> I'm still working on that, but um, educating people about mental health issues and, you know, just being a whole and healthy person, um, what traditional therapy would say well-adjusted, but tips and tricks for that and also her website and also Instagram. So you can find her on there. Um, for the last few minutes, um, I just wanted to give space again for advocacy. What does that mean and how can we advocate? Yeah, so I think for me as a therapist, advocating is using my education and the privilege that comes with my education to advocate on the front lines within mental health, right? So for me, it's, you know, policy and doing things like that internally, right? And then externally empowering and supporting the folks that I serve in, like we talked about, advocating in the doctor's office. And I tell people, get smart. If, if your doctor's denying you something, make sure they document and say, I want it documented that you re that you denied X, Y, and Z test, mm -hmm. and I want a copy of it, right? Um, and that's and, t and I'll tell you, that scares doctors real quick, and they, they might turn around and say, all right, let's do these tests. Um, and then, you know, just advocating, you know, interviewing, you know, your the your therapist to make sure that they're a good fit for you and you know what are your values and the things that are important to you and and you know does that individual align with you does that therapist align um so yeah and it's an advocacy is showing up together and then showing up for yourself as well mm -hmm. awesome awesome yes all of those things and i love that new tip too because i never thought to make them put it in the record that they refuse to give a certain test or consider a certain test. Um, you know, I had someone recently, I had referred them back to primary care to look into some changes that I thought might've been related to premenstrual mood yeah. dysphoria and, you know, possibly get some hormone levels as well. And the doctor just basically poo-pooed that person and threw them out and said, you know, just change your diet. And I'm like, well, if we were, you know, at that place, we would be doing that because we, we look at all of those things and all of those parts of yeah. the person, but for you to just outright ignore these fluctuations in weight and health and mood and just throw it out, that, that is not good. Yeah. Yeah. And so just remember these folks don't have, don't have the power that I think historically we've given them, uh, right. When it comes to your body, when it comes to your health, you know you, you know your body. They get five minutes with you, maybe once a year with you. So that's also advocacy is, is showing up for yourself that you're the expert in your body and your mind and your experiences. Just because they have a title doesn't mean that you are less than and they are superior to you. Right. And again, they should be able to take the time to explain things, explain their approach, why they're prescribing, what they're mm -hmm. prescribing what treatment they are deciding for you, 
They should be able to explain all of that. And you should be able to bring your three to five questions and say, this is what I'm concerned about. And this is what I want to cover in this visit. Yep, exactly. And I feel like that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast. But yes, these are, Dr. Sears is over here dropping some gems. (laughs) Yeah, you, you get me fired up on the advocacy part. And also the other part of advocacy is you have the power to, write letters, call your senators, call your representatives and say, this doesn't work. We recently had a bill, didn't go the way I wanted it to do. It's the don't say gay bill, but it affected people that I work with that are having enough difficulties without having to grow up in a system that may penalize them or may force them to out themselves to family in the classroom, maybe put them at a disadvantage for more bullying because they have to change their pronouns and different things like that. That's writing a letter. It's writing several letters. It's, you know, for me, it is doing educational things on Instagram and TikTok to say why it's important to stand up for this or against that. So that's advocacy at the root cause level um, in educating people who interact with you every day, because they may not interact with a lot of people of color, but they need to know it's not just something on paper. It's actually affecting someone's life. Yep, exactly. So that's advocacy. Do you, can you think of anything that we left out or any other I feel like there's so much we 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 didn't get to cover, but I think you know, I I think this was a good foundation. I feel, um, yeah. and just to give folks ideas about different conversations that they could be having with themselves, with their community, with family, and then whoever they're interviewing, um, you know, for you know to be on the couch, right? To be on the couch mm-hmm. with them. Um, so hopefully, you know, folks, you know this could be empowering and just informative um, and maybe validating in ways um, to, you know, um, your listeners. Yes. I I think it's a very good start. If you guys have any questions or you'd like to have um, Lupe back again, um, you can let us know. Um, Definitely share this out to other people and let us know on socials. Um, You can tag Lupe. You can tag her at Luna Counseling on Instagram and on TikTok. If you've seen this and you have more questions about this, um, and then maybe we'll do another session on some of your other reactions and comments and questions about this. Yeah. So thank you so much for being on the couch with us today. I appreciate you. And again, I hope this is a healing space for many of you and look forward to being on the couch with you in the future. Thank you. I appreciate being in community with you and I look forward to to continue to be in community with you. Thank you.